Hello, dear friends. It's Carly, and welcome to another episode of the I Learned Podcast. So glad to have you here. I am so glad to be here. This morning has been yet another treasure hunt uh, led by my inner being, uh, one participant, me, and I have uncovered massive treasures yet again this morning in my morning time in my journaling. And I, just like the last episode, I feel like I can't say enough how basically every, every good thing that I manifest in my life is, is like tied back to what I feel like is a choice to kind of put myself first on my list of priorities. Um, I do that because of a term I learned last year that really deeply resonated with me. And that idea is selfish giver. And when I say I put myself first on my list, it is because I am here to make a vast impact in this world. And I can't do that if I'm crashed, if I'm depressed, if I'm neglecting myself to the point of manifesting a chronic illness or a terminal illness. If I I can't do my work, I can't be of service to this world the way that my soul intends to be if I don't take care of me, numero uno. I, I am the vessel for my spirit to come forward into this world and do what it came to do. And it is part of my responsibility to care for this vessel that houses this beautiful spirit that only wants to do good, big, beautiful things with this world and literally leave it a you know, better place than I found it. I want to open up the range of possibilities of how good life can be. Like, how happy should we expect to be on a daily basis? I'm going to argue for like insanely happy, just deliriously happy is how happy we should be every single day. Maybe not all day, every single day, but glimpses of radiant happiness every single day. Yeah. Even on my low days, I'm still happy to be alive. I'm still aware and appreciating that this vessel has life and that I get this front row seat to the unfolding of said life. And what an honor, what a privilege to get to be alive in this world. And so even on the days when my vessel doesn't feel good, like maybe I have bad emotions, like, you know, or deep emotions maybe that are uncomfortable or they're big and I don't consciously understand them and they're confusing me in that way. And so that can be uncomfortable. Or there's like a physical illness of some sort, like back in the day when I would work so hard until I would just get sick and let that be my break. <laughs> you know, like I, I can't tolerate, I can't work up the guts to like take a real break and tell my bosses that I need to take some time. I need to slow down. I don't know how to do that. So my only ability to slow down is when I'm physically ill and I can no longer physically go. Like my body has now made it not optional. It's now time for rest. It's demanded and it's not optional. Um, so that's how I used to do it. And now that I do it this way, where I try to, you know, release the tension and work through what's coming up and not deny my emotions and live on a full gas tank instead of teetering on the edge of an empty gas tank. Um, 
basically that daily self-care ritual. And for me, such a huge piece of that is journaling. And I've, I've, I do spend a lot of time talking about journaling because that's a technique that works really well for me. I am wholeheartedly of the belief that every single person is going to have their own recipe for what works for each of us. Um, and even within that recipe, that's totally individualized to your unique energy day to day, as you go through your life and you're conditioned by some things and you practice deconditioning in your internal practice and you more better align to who you really are and the kind of life that you want to live, um, as you line up with that, your self-care needs will change. So even within our individualized recipe, we are constantly evolving that recipe for caring for ourselves as we go through our lives and as we shift and evolve as beings. So the reason I talk so much about journaling is because it has been a constant for me these last over five years now. I've, I've written and journaled a lot throughout my lifetime, um, but was a very on and off with it. Like I would feel like doing it for a little while and usually what would happen is when I would check in with myself like that and kind of indulge and write and tell my stories in my journal and whatever else that I would feel better. And as I felt better, my life would pick up the pace. It would pick up the fun. It would lots, you know, lots more doors opened and new invitations and new things starting and all of that. And I would go towards those manifestations and away from my journaling and then kind of everything would fall apart again. <laughs> and so I did that for, you know, until I was like 27. And then I started journaling every single day with no intention of ever stopping. And that's basically where I'm at now, a little over five years later. And that's, that works. And I like it because it's cheap. It's, it's such a cheap form of self-therapy to allow yourself to write what's going on inside of yourself. Because just by shining your light of awareness on it, it moves. And you can move your own energy. Nobody else even has to be there. Like Just even writing it out moves the energy inside of us. So we can kind of create our own self-healing just by giving voice and giving awareness to the narratives that are running inside of us, whether we're giving them a voice or not. And that's just it. Like I, I have spent a lot of time, like just minimizing the darkness and like shoving things back down and like, Nope, that's uncomfortable. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to, you know, focus towards positive things and what I want. And I still do that. I still, that's mostly what I do in my journal is focus myself on purpose towards positivity and the piece that's different these days. Um, like in these last six months, even as I kind of took my hibernation earlier this year for those few months. And since I've emerged, I am allowing my shadow work to emerge in the real time. I, I am no longer making any effort to shove it back down. <laughs> and that's been a really uncomfortable transition. Um, not unnecessary, totally necessary, a hundred percent necessary and appreciated. And I'm, I'm enjoying it, but uncomfortable in the fact that emotions don't work on a timetable. 
they don't give you an agenda ahead of time. They don't, they don't send you an email two weeks in advance to be like, Hey, clear your schedule. I'm coming with a radical emotional thunderstorm around 11 AM on Wednesday. <laughs> like there's no, there's no real forecast for it. So that's where kind of, again, like I talked about in the last episode, wanting my grid to be empty ish where I only schedule, like I have a hard limit for having scheduled something maybe four or five days a week. And if there's one thing scheduled on that day, then there can't be another thing scheduled on that day. One scheduled thing per day. So like one hour, maybe an hour and a half. That's all I can really take because the rest of the time needs to be clear to handle whatever my emotional wave is bringing up in that moment. And sometimes that means following random waves of in, in, uh, random waves of inspiration that'll just take up a whole day. You know, like this morning I was journaling. I started with my gratitude list like I do so often when I'm, you know, don't really know what else to write. I just start with general things I'm grateful for and the more specific things they come. And as I went through my gratitude, I got to, uh, human design. I'm just so grateful for learning human design recently and how much I've already clarified and even more deeply accepting and owning my authentic self, like all of that work that human design has already let me do. And because of that, I also have been dipping more into human design content on YouTube, like watching it. And I came across this creator. Her name is Denise Matthew. Matthew, I think maybe Matthews. I'll link, um, I'll link her channel in the description. Let me write that down because otherwise I don't remember. Um, HD with DM channel. Yeah. Cause she, she talks really fast, which I like, and she's very to the point, which I also like, which is also, you know, only half how I am. <laughs> I talk very fast, not very quick getting to the point. I like to do the rambling style. It, it fits me better. But anyway, so I found her, her stuff. And so a lot of her things have been in my uh, newsfeed on YouTube lately. And through watching a few of those videos, I learned that, so there's channels like defined channels. And that's when you have both ends of that channel of energy are defined for you. Like a planet landed on both ends of that channel. And all of a sudden you can move energy through that channel. And so having the whole channel has its own set of properties. And then there's just having half the channel. So if you have one end of the channel activated, that's called a hanging gate in human design. So you see a lot of those on your chart. Um, probably way more hanging gates than you do completely defined channels. So that has its own set of properties because that energy is expressing itself by itself rather than moving into the other end of the channel, which has a different set of properties. So it was very interesting to just learn that little factoid in general. And it let me understand that like, you know, I have one defined channel in my whole chart. And so that's where I started with trying to understand my personal human design and so I watched uh, Denise Matthews' video on channel 1222 because that's my one defined channel. 
And in it, I love how she includes uh, famous people who have that configuration. And so in it, she showed people who had the full channel defined. And then she also talked about people who had a hanging gate 12, which is one half, or a hanging gate 22, which is the other half. And that is how I got down this rabbit hole um, where basically, let me go back to my notes. Um, so Abraham, not Abraham, Esther, Esther Hicks, technically, um, she is a projector and she has hanging gate, let's see, 12. Yeah, she has hanging gate 12. And Dolores Cannon is another spiritual teacher that I, um, she has written many books. She does, uh, hypnosis. She was the inventor of QHHT, quantum healing hypnosis technique. And she has done thousands or had done thousands of past life regressions when she passed a few years ago. And is she called herself the, um, what was it? The researcher and reporter of lost knowledge. So she connected with beings and gathered their knowledge and wrote, wrote many, many books. Um, but she has hanging gate 22 and so does Maya Angelou. And then there's Frida Kahlo. Um, Kahlo, I, I think I'm saying that right. Probably not. I could probably practice some more. Um, but Frida, she has the entire gate or the entire channel, um, 12 and 22 activated like I do. Uh, and so I, that led me to searching. I want to see a documentary about her life. So I watched a hour long Frida documentary and it was so amazing. I watched the entire thing. I sat here, I drank a couple cups of coffee and watched like with undivided attention. And it was beautiful to witness the trial of her life, the example of her life. And, and basically she's an artist and she painted and she found painting because she was, um, ran over by a trolley car basically and projected to die, but she didn't, she survived just with really massive injuries to her entire body, uh, that eventually killed her like 20, 30 years later. Um, but the, she died at 47 and that happened when she was 19. So yeah, that's almost 30 years later. So anywho, her, her main muse for her art was herself. Like basically she, uh, took her own emotional experience and she turned it into a work of art. And that's why there are a bunch of self portraits and portraits of herself in different periods of her life. Like she miscarried, um, a couple different times. And so she has a lot of work around the pain and grief of those experiences, um, in later life, she had like basically no ability to sit or stand without these braces that they put on her body. And so there was a lot of pain associated with her back and all of that from the accidents many years before. And she has a lot of paintings about that pain. And I mean, the, the part that really sank in, and this was, this is why I'm telling this whole story is that in the course of her lifetime, she was mostly viewed as very weird like very fringe, very like just completely breath of fresh air. Like nobody had ever been like this before, especially in like the beginning of the 1900s in Mexico for a woman to be acting so free and so expressive, um, talking about things that were taboo. And she had both men and women as lovers and 
was married uh, a couple different times, I think a couple times to the same guy, like just had some life experiences for the fact that she only lived to be 47. Um, but at the very end of this documentary, talking about her like basically obscure life, she did a couple bigger shows there at the end of her life of some of her paintings. Um, but most of her quote unquote fame or reputation or like her being well known so much of that happened after her death and so the very end of the um of the documentary is of like a taping of an auction where this woman is standing on stage auctioning off this like rather small self-portrait of Frida that she painted at some point during her life and they start the bidding at eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars and when the auction cuts off, it's they're still auctioning it and it's at $1.2 million. And there's like people in the audience and there's people on the phones from all over the world that are like bidding on this painting that she did in her life. And from the looks of the auction and the lady and the quality of the video, I'm going to guess it was like in the 90s or the early 2000s when this auction took place. Anyways, as I watched that and as I'm recounting it now, this energy came into me that I just like burst into happy tears and like grateful tears and shock and disbelief and radical, radical, I was going to say radiant, radiant, radical gratitude for this, this moment and this impact that like had been set in motion and was only later realized, like so later realized, like she died in the mid fifties, I think 54 maybe. And I just watched the documentary. You think I can remember? Um, but she died like in the mid mid fifties. And then here 50 years later, they're auctioning her life's work a piece of her life's work. Like one of, I mean, she did many, 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 many paintings. Um, they said like in one short period, they gave an example of she had like come back from this trip and she did 12 paintings. So, I mean, she was very prolific and they're selling one of them for over $1.2 million. And <sighs> there was really something of a release and a relief in those tears that I cried. And it felt like in a certain way I was I was letting myself off the hook for ever having to make an impact even inside of my lifetime. Like if I create and create and create and create and do all of these things that feel so fun along the way, um, and nobody ever looks at it such that I can see, like maybe me getting to see it isn't the whole point, you know, like there's so much more of an impact that comes later beyond my living, breathing ability to witness the impact that I've created and the little glimpses that I do get to see I shouldn't even call them little they're profound and they're grand and it makes me want more but me the 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 glimpses that I get into the impact that I am able to create working in the lives of other people it is truly humbling to be able to hear their their response where I feel so much like my work with people is satisfying to me on a soul level. Like, like my soul is being granted permission to live out its own destiny 
in these, in these relationships, in these coaching relationships that I have. And then for the other person to tell me that this has been transformative and beneficial to them in a way that has, you know, they feel more confident and they feel more empowered within themselves as a result of our time together. Like that has got to be like the most abundant manifestation ever. And yet watching that documentary about her life and seeing everything that she went through and how basically her whole world was her own pain most of the time like most of her work <clears throat> is based in pain um which you know like that just is what it was like she went through a tremendous amount of physical pain emotional pain relationship pain parental pain like so many different facets of pain and she used all of that as this muse to do all of her creating and now where we are you know now 70 years after her life she is still looked at as an example of like how to be free, how to live as your authentic self, how to find your own personal empowerment, how to create outside of the bounds of what anybody else needs you to be. Just do what works for you. She said all the time, like I paint for me. I paint because I like it. I paint to fill my time. I paint things that resonate with me. I know nobody else resonates with these things, but that doesn't matter because that's not why I'm painting them. I, I paint them because they work for me. And Really, at the time, people told her, your paintings are too crazy. A couple people here and there were like, oh, this is marvelous. But mostly people told her she was crazy. And now her shit is selling for millions of dollars. And that's just one painting. And it just felt like, you know, like it was a sense of relaxation of like, let go of ever needing to see anybody get your emotional creative expression. You know, like nobody has to understand it. It is a matter of individual feeling, not collective understanding. Because this, the, the truth, I was going to say the sad truth, but I'll have to reflect more on that because really nothing is sad or happy. It just is. And we make it one of those with our perception to it. But anyways, the truth of it is that there's... <laughs> You know, I went and got myself off track and I lost my train of thought. Oh, the truth is that collective understanding is just that. It's a collective energy. It's an average of the collective. And if you like math at all and have a good understanding of how averages work, you take all the numbers, every individual and you homogenize it into one number and that's collective energy in a in a rough analogy and what that does is basically take power away from the outliers right so the outliers meaning the people who are working in more of an individual energy where individual energy is meant to mutate it's meant to be new and something different. And that's why each of us come forward is because we have individual intentions. We are each individual refractions or facets or <clears throat> extensions, 
you know, imagine source energy is this like gigantic, larger than anything we could consciously comprehend, but this gigantic ball of light energy and it around this infinite light energy is infinite surface space for this energy to expand and shoot off in these extensions where it gets to explore a completely different direction. And if you imagine an infinite sphere with infinitely expanding surface space, that means there's infinite capacity for mutation, but that only happens inside the individual. And the individual energy is a lonely space, or rather it's a space filled with and thriving on solitude. And all of these ideas go against the collective energy where being social pays off and all of that. So this, this channel of 12 and 22 is really about both of them and having the space away to fully dive into my emotional experience and Frida, her emotional experience. And when the time is right, moving to communicate my experience Frida's experience of what, what our emotional experience was, you know, and I've joked for quite a while that I thought I was joking. I thought this is, ha this is a funny thing to say. When I created it, when I started saying it, I was like, my full-time job is my self-care. That was kind of an affirmation that I started using like kind of early on, like when I really started to understand that everything is energy and this law of attraction means that my energy is being reflected to me all the time. So of course my full-time job is my energy. Uh, My full-time job is my self-care, which AKA is managing my energy. So haha, funny joke. And now as I look at this, this channel of 1222 and that that's my only defined channel and that this channel of energy is about going inward and having my unique personal emotional experience, riding that emotional wave, whatever it is. And then when the time is right, stepping forward and communicating my experience of that emotional wave with whoever wants to hear it. And that, that like, it's no longer a joke to me. Like when I say my full-time job is my emotions or my emotions are my full-time job where this is why I can only schedule one thing per day because as my emotional waves come and go, I have pledged allegiance to follow them. And if that means that this little treasure hunt this morning of like this realization and this realization and this realization and this human design and this channel and this commonality and this spiritual teacher and this thing. And now this idea to watch this Frida documentary and then spending an hour of my time doing that only to burst into hysterical, powerful tears at the end of it. Like I'm crying over realizing my own success watching her auction. (laughs) I don't know. I feel a little bit like she was with me. If you believe in that kind of thing. Um, I feel like she was watching it through my eyes and she was feeling her own bliss in, you know, her own desire to live as her authentic self and wanting to show the world that limitations are illusions. 
You know, we can free ourselves from them anytime. Here, watch this. I'll, I'll live it and I'll prove it to you. And I just, oh my goodness, I resonate so much with her feeling so misunderstood during her life only to now 70 years later, they finally are looking at her like, wow, she was a visionary. Like she really knew what was going on. So it just kind of gave me this sense of, you know what, if I spend my life creating things that feel good to me and that honor my emotional waves and nobody ever gets it, which I already can't say because I have a couple people who get it, um, I'll be in good company. I'll be in good company with people who were expressing for the pure joy of doing so and letting that be their guide and whatever happens, happens. And I mean, a difference that I see, I do see that Frida lived with great joy. She was known as a very joyful being, um, but she experienced like intense pain a lot, like a really a lot. I don't think I'm built for that. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I think my, my emotional sensitivity, um, prevents me from having to experience that amount of pain. Pain is very, um, influential as a teacher in my world. I don't like to be in pain. I really like to be comfortable. I am wired to be in comfort. And so like, for example, in the documentary of Frida's life, like it, it was like her father had taught her to deal with her emotional energy by being active. And so that's what she did. She, she like wrestled and did all boxed and did all these other things that like boys did, especially in the like twenties or whatever it was. Um, so she was just like, cool, you know, cool for her time being different than what was expected of her, but she was handling her emotional energy in a way that wasn't, wasn't really aiming to get to the root of anything. It was just about releasing the physical side of it, which is great, but in partnership with dealing with the actual underlying current of where that emotional wave is coming from, that has to be part of it. And that's where, you know, she was freaking hit by a, like she was on the bus and the bus was hit by the trolley car or something. And she was in like a full on body cast, like bones broken all over her body, um, foot crushed on and on. And therefore had to lay still for a very extended amount of time at that point And then for a good portion of her life. And so she had to learn how to deal with her emotional energy not by just being physical. Like you can't be physical. That's now been taken away from you. You have to deal with it in a way that like actually deals with it. You know, that's really your only option that you have left. So that's when she took up painting and I don't paint. I feel like my journaling is, is my outlet. Like her painting was for her, you know, like my journal is where I face head on the things that need facing, the pain that's there, the hurt that's there, not in an effort of trying to push it away or make it smaller or get away from it or anything, but to really surf that wave and see why are you here right now? Why have you come? Because the more I lean into my emotions, the more I realize that the divine timing of them is beyond what what we can really even comprehend is going on. And if we'll accept each new emotional wave as a message from source, 
life gets so much easier, so much easier. And sometimes the message, the wave that comes up is one that hurts, right? It's, it's a painful memory or it's something that makes us cry, sad, agonizing tears. Um, sometimes, sometimes that's what comes. And part of emotion management is riding out those waves as much as you're looking forward to the highs, the positive waves, the ones that feel really exhilarating when you get to experience them. And all of this to say, um, as I was, as I was like kind of falling down this, this rabbit hole that really started with Frida and, uh, in, uh, while listening to that, I also got curious about like the rest of my chart because I felt like, okay, well, I have one defined channel and I feel like I really understand it and then it's powerful and it's cool. But like, what about the rest of this? That was just kind of the natural unfolding of like, okay, I was inspired with a question. I answered the question and now my answer has produced new questions, circle of life. And as I look at my chart, if you look next to channel 1222, which runs between the throat and the solar plexus, I have two other gates, the gate 45. These are both hanging gates, meaning I only have, I only have half the channel activated and it's gate 45 and gate 36. And those are, well, one of them, gate 36 is my North node gate from 88 days before I was born. And my North node gate from the date of my birth is gate 22. So those are both solar plexus, AKA emotional energy gates, gate 22 and gate 36. Um, and the North node that's where, so the North node at my birth and then the North node 88 days before both land in this solar plexus area, emotional area, and the North node is our life's purpose. It's the energy that we intended to grow into in this life's span, our evolution as an eternal soul. Like we have many, many lifetimes, many experiences as we shift between forms and learn from every angle of creation. And here I am in this life and in this life, my North, my North nodes are pointed towards gate 22 and gate 36 both in the solar plexus, both aimed at riding that emotional wave. So again, when I am now 100% certain that my life's work is to manage my emotions. My life's work is to learn how to surf on emotional energy and then talk about it. And let me tell you that <laughs> this has been such an interesting process of wrapping my mind around this because here's an example of you know how do you like how do you really grow into something like this where you feel like my job is to teach my job is to share stories about things that I've learned you know like not that I aim to teach people but that my material has an educational quality to it I think um in some way indirectly um but that it all begins with my emotions. Like my, nor my North nodes landed in 
two emotional gates that are aimed at experiencing our own individual emotional experience. And so it just like clarifies so much about myself and how I'm wired and makes me again, coming full circle on where this all even started. I was making a gratitude list and said, I'm so grateful for human design and everything that I've learned so far from human design and everything that I'll continue learning. And then this whole rabbit hole opened up and I learned about, you know, a whole nother piece of my chart and really connected with this idea that my North nodes are my life's purpose are literally situated inside my solar plexus, inside my emotional energy. That if I, if I follow that emotional energy, it will guide me towards living my life's purpose. That there isn't a bigger purpose than following my emotional guidance. And that's where this, anytime I think about life's purpose, I'm reminded of my friend Sierra because she, she might've even gotten me thinking on a deeper level, like what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my soul's purpose? For sure using those language because before that I always thought about my goals and the impact that I was going to make and the business that I was going to have. And like, I would think about my future like that. And Sierra asks, asks, I'm saying that present tense because I'm pretty positive. It's probably still true. Um, but she asks herself repeatedly, like, what is my purpose? And every time I've done a reading for her on any of her personality things, she's she's been around for quite a while, like even back in the Myers-Briggs days, back in the Strengths Finder days, like I've interpreted a lot of personality things for her up to and including her natal chart. And every time I try to talk to her about purpose, her common response is, basically like dissatisfaction that like this purpose isn't big enough. Like it doesn't feel big enough. And that's a little bit how this purpose has felt as I've stepped into it. It's felt too simple. It's felt too small. It's felt like, no, but I want to impact the world. So how can my purpose be to manage my emotions? Like, how does that even make sense? And the answer is ripple effects. The answer is law of attraction. Because law of attraction is holding up a mirror to all of us all the time. That mirror is our life and the cooperative components that show up in said life. And that's happening all the time, whether we're consciously participating with it or not. And my north nodes landing right in my emotional solar plexus area um, cement it for me on a whole nother level that yeah, my life's work is to manage my emotional energy. That inside of my emotional energy, the messages the messages that are flowing forth are carrying infinite intelligence, are carrying spiritual wisdom, are carrying my own soul's evolution and my own soul's healing. And, you know, my emotions, they serve me one moment at a time with like, here's what to focus on right now. Yeah. Like there's, there's <laughs> I'm remembering a conversation with my uncle one day in the grocery store and 
his questioning energy was so powerful. I just had to laugh because he was so serious and he just had so many questions and they were big questions like, what about all these people on unemployment? And what about COVID? And are the vaccines going to work? And all this? And what about, what about that it came from China? And what about this? And like, just like he was so, you could feel it. Like the pressure built up inside of him that these questions were present and he couldn't find answers. And he was asking them to me like he really didn't want answers. He was like pleading, like, please give me an answer. And yet he couldn't stop asking questions to like even let an answer come through. And I just like, I couldn't hold it in. I just started laughing because he's so swirled up in his questions that the answer can't come in. And our emotional energy is a constant answer. Like the head has all of these questions and the emotions are serving up the answers in real time, moment by moment, by moment, by moment. So all of these like gurus and spiritual leaders out in the world who like to say like all the wisdom of the universe is inside of you, all the secrets of life are inside of you. If you'll only turn inwards, if you'll only listen inside of yourself, all the answers are already there. They're inside your emotions and our emotions, uh, Sometimes they're painful, you know? And so I know I, for so long, I turned them off. I just turned the volume knob down. I just ignored this steady stream of information that a lot of time was painful because, as I now understand, when I'm pointing myself in the wrong direction, yeah, it's painful. (laughs) And now I can look back and see how it worked out and understand, oh, oh, yeah, I see what I did there. I went against my intuition. I pointed myself in a direction that I thought was like kind of keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, like living up to society's expectations. Um, and now that I follow my emotional guidance, I, I feel like I've achieved true abundance, which in my terms, in my terms of what success means is everything to do with how happy you are on a daily basis. And it's so beautiful to me to be where I am at this moment where I have the courage to step forward in my authenticity and to shine my light of saying like this is who I am and so much of the confidence that comes from that is the fact that I am happy on a daily basis like the the happiness that I've quote unquote achieved or cultivated or built for myself. I've practiced myself into it. Um, that happiness is the courage that I needed to put myself out there and say like, Hey, I think I have something valuable to share. I mean, I'm happy on a daily basis. So I'm happy to talk in detail about anything and everything that I am doing to help myself be happy along my path. And it is so fascinating to me that the counterintuitive answer is to lean into your emotions, which if you've been shutting them off, like how I was shutting mine off for so long, even now there's so much built up in there that is having to come out one little piece at a time. And so those little painful moments, they still happen. You know, the shadow work moments where you're having to face something from the past that doesn't feel good. You're having to own guilt about how you behaved or you're trying to practice letting go and giving yourself the gift of forgiving someone who hurt you in the past. Um, 
any of those, any of those moments of shadow work where you're having to face emotions that are hard in the moment, but shining that light of awareness on them and facing them, there is a power of release in that, that allows that energy to not just like, like be generated and hit up against a dam that we've built within ourselves where we're denying that emotional energy, but we allow it to flow and flow up through us and out, up through us and out of ourselves. And there's a release, there's a real release that comes with facing hard things. Granted, and I'm going to put this disclaimer here that I am not a trained therapist, psychotherapist, psycho, whatever, on and on and on. I'm not that. So I also subscribe to the belief that having a support system to walk you through that process of processing the shadow work pieces that are coming up, especially when you're just starting. Um, I've had many therapists. I have worked with a life coach. I strongly recommend that you have some kind of support to help you make sense of and process and stay grounded as you allow those types of potentially painful past memories to come forward to be processed. Um, Yes, I want to just take that second and carve out that like having support through that process is, oh my gosh, it's so worth it. Not only does it expedite the process, like help it go a little bit faster, I genuinely believe it makes it so much smoother because they... They aren't in it like we're in it. So find someone that you trust, which I understand can be a tall order depending on where you're starting from, Um, whether that's a hired professional or a close friend or whatever, Um, someone that you trust emotionally and allow them to support you as any of those darker things start to come forward. Um, Having someone that you can turn to when it's just too, it's too overwhelming that That is so powerful. Uh, Having someone who can kind of help pause the spinning or help pull you up above the spinning where you can really see the energy that is moving inside of you so that you know how to channel it into that release. Um, That assistance is crucial. So, you know, hear me when I say like get support. Like I by no means am saying that I'm doing this all by myself. I am I am claiming that I'm willing. I'm willing to face what's there. And I do reach out to my support system when I need them. And that is a practice as well. Um, For me to be able to ask for help is something that I do still have to practice. Um, But as I follow my emotional guidance, I'm also getting better and better and better at recognizing who can be trusted. Who should I be trusting? Because so many times my negative experiences with things blowing up in my face where I trusted someone that I shouldn't have, it wasn't that, oh, they tricked me. It was that I kind of let myself be tricked. Like my gut told me there was something weird about them from the first time I met them, but everything, everything makes sense. And you know, like it's logical and on paper it's there and, and we want to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, you go along to get along and all of those things. And eventually it blows up in our face. And it's so much easier in that moment, especially the hurt ego to blame the other person. And that's, you know, that only gets us so far. That's a, that's a 
balm that we can put on our wounds, like our burns there in the moment that kind of takes some of the sting out of it. But ultimate healing happens on a deeper level where we take responsibility for the reflection of every single experience that ever happens to us is a reflection of the energy that we're holding. And that energy that we're holding is, is the outcome of all the things that we've been through in this lifetime and everything that our soul brought in with us from previous lifetimes, that those things that came in our subconscious. So all of this to say, yeah, what is my point? We all know how I like that rambling style. Um, all of this to say that the journey continues to be beautiful. Uh, the journey of following my emotions now that I indulge them and allow them to come forward in whatever state they're presenting themselves. 95%, if not more than that of the time, I'm happy. I feel good. And that is wholeheartedly, selflessly what I want for as many people who will allow me to help them get there. You know, like life path six all the way. I am here to be of service that is the deliciousness of my experience is, you know, the frosting of my experience is getting to work with people one-on-one -on -one and getting to witness them through their own cycles of transformation, their own cycles of release, and then blossoming into the next level of who they are because they've, they've figured out those things that were blocking them and we work to release that energy and now they're moving into a space where new possibilities are possible because those blocks are no longer keeping those things hidden. Um, not that it wasn't always there, but that the energy inside of us shapes our whole reality. So if we can sculpt our energy, we can absolutely change our whole lives. So... <laughs> I, I don't know if you can tell how passionate I am about this, um, but and it's okay. So here's going back to full circle to a sentence I started way long ago in this, in this little episode. Um, but the other night I was at my parents' house and my dad, he looks right at me and he's like, so what have you been up to? And I kind of like think about it for a second. Not a lot. And that's all I said. And that kind of stayed with me because you know what I've been up to, Dad? Yesterday, I I had a little mini emotional meltdown, but it was actually really powerful and productive. It was like a dam breaking inside of me, and it caused me to cry hysterical tears for like a solid 10 minutes. And then afterwards, I journaled three pages. That's what I did for work yesterday. <laughs> I can't, I can't quite picture saying that to him like out loud in real life without laughing hysterically, even though it's true. Like that was my work that day. I went and took a nap after that experience because I was like so satisfied that like as far as this day in my life goes, I've done good work. My soul is happy. And all it was was crying hysterically for 10 minutes. And I was like satisfied that you know what? I've done my soul's work for this day. I'm going to go to sleep now. And I did. And I felt wonderful and it was beautiful. And I'm like, how do I explain that to others? And the short answer that I'm feeling in the front of my mind, blinking like a freaking sign on Broadway is you don't, you don't explain it to them. You know, like it's not their job to understand you. It's your job to understand you. And if I can say that, 
you know, my work is managing my emotional energy that I keep my life clear so that I can ride my emotional waves day by day as they present themselves. If I understand that and I stand in that truth, that is so much more important than speaking that truth to people who probably aren't going to get it. And that is the cool thing about learning about these two gates, 22 and 36, especially gate 22, which is part of that fully defined channel that I have, that gate's responsibility is to sense it is responsibility. It's response. (laughs) My thoughts are moving faster than my words can keep up with. Um, It's responsible for my emotional openness. Um, Basically my emotional sensitivity comes through this gate. Also, it senses the emotional openness or receptivity of others. And the fact that it is connected with my throat with gate 12, basically gate 12 is a gate of caution. So together that energy senses how open and ready people are, and then it responds accordingly. And he asked a question, what have you been up to lately? And without really meaning to or thinking about it too hard, my subconscious, my decision was he can't handle the answer. And I said, not a lot. I, I intentionally didn't demonstrate my light in that moment. You know, I didn't own my authentic self and that has stuck with me because, you know, duh, I'm trying to practice owning my authentic self. And, um, here was this opportunity to do that. And I didn't. And today learning about that gate of openness and being able to sense the openness in others and then responding accordingly and basically not spending energy trying to convince somebody who isn't convincible, you know, or trying to tell them something that they're not in a place where they can hear that or where it's going to be beneficial for them to hear that. Um, so, that gave me such a sense of relief about that experience with my dad where I chose to just be like, nope, not a lot, not been up to a lot and just not explain what I'm doing. And I felt good about that, that like even that, even choosing to not express was me owning my authentic self because my gut said, you know, like, I don't really think he wants the answer to that question. (laughs) So I didn't answer it. So yeah, it's like that. It's like, Learning to trust myself is this gift that I don't think I even understood that being willing to follow my emotional guidance was going to be the answer to figuring out how do I trust myself? How do I trust others? How, how does that work? How do I actually allow myself to open up and extend my tender heart to somebody else? Well, it's all about recognizing who is the right other, who is the right person, when is the right time. Not everybody needs to hear the expression of your authentic self. Not everybody's ready. Not everybody's going to be helped by that. And really, anytime it quote unquote blows up in our face, we know that that person wasn't ready. And probably if we trace it back, there was a gut knowing of this person isn't ready. You know, we can, we can sense that inside of ourselves and the trick, the thing that I practice and am practicing and probably will practice for the rest of my life is 
is this the right moment with the right person? Is this the right time to express my authentic self? And when it comes to emotional energy, that is the question of the day is, is it the right time? Because like we said, emotions don't give you an agenda ahead of time. It's all about feeling it in the moment. And it gives me a greater sense of peace that this is, this is not only like how I made it up, you know, like I made up a way to describe who I am that made sense to me, like, ha ha ha, my full-time job is self-care. And then as I understand my human design chart, it's like, no, wait, actually my full-time job is self-care. So I guess I'm going to own that now. I'm guess I guess I'm just going to like put that out there that like, that's my, that's my purpose is to take care of myself. And the rest of the things that flow forth from that are the frosting. And at this point, there's so much frosting in my world. It's delicious. Um, and it all started with, with facing the emotions as they came. So if this sounds like something that you're wanting more of in your life, like that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm here to be of service. I'm here to, to help others navigate this space where they allow themselves to become guided by their own internal emotional guidance, your own inner compass. Um, that's my life's work. That's the frosting of my life's work. Um, so if I can help you with that, you can reach me at owningauthenticity at gmail.com. Otherwise, uh, I, I promise I'll be back. Uh, I don't make promises that I can't keep. <laughs> I've learned that I'm, I'm always not great. Uh, not always great at keeping my promises, but this one, I feel a hundred percent confident. I can say, I promise you, I will be back soon with more rambling content, uh, here on the I learned podcast. And I thank you so much for listening this time and, and every other, if you're one of my returning friends, uh, whether you're returning or new, I hope you take such good care of yourselves and I will too.